Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, crypto traders around the world. More news, some of which you know, some of which you don't, but more news. I think some of this is good news, and it forecasts what I've been saying properly. I hope, at least, that this is true. But let's get right into the news today. And for the underdog token, I do have a token that I want to discuss, but I'm struggling on how to actually present it. So it's going to be saved for last because there's a lot to think about on that one. And that's why it's going to be a little bit more news today than there was in previous episodes. First off, what we all know, the, the so-called crypto crash, as social media has deemed it, continues to go and continues to go as strong as it has done. But there's a little bit more information coming out now about what's kind of what's behind this, right? And what's driving it, but also what it means for the future and why certain analysts remain, including myself, remain bullish about the future. Turns out that on the Bitcoin side, there are some various nations and governments that are so-called buying the dip. They're buying on this uh, down point because they're buying at a discount because it's a discount. And they realize that it makes sense to stockpile it. The reason this one stands out as important is because it means that there's confidence irrespective of what's being put out in the media. I mentioned it before that there is kind of this we want to be first sentiment going on with the government, you know, Russia and China and the bans and all this. And the, all that also is playing a factor in some of the loss of sentiment. But I've always speculated that kind of secretly it's like, okay, some of these people are stacking this stuff because, and yes, it's a form of market manipulation. Should I be proven right? Yes, they're manipulating the market with all this chatter and all these bans and all this other stuff while they stack their pockets with the stuff. But some people will call me tinfoil and that's fine. But we know that El Salvador in particular has bought 400, over 400 Bitcoins very recently. There's going to be more ETFs coming out. There's a lot of high money people that are buying the dips on these things, getting into Bitcoin. And that's like, think about it. It's so that they can control it. Part of the problem with Bitcoin has always been that there has been a very select few wealthy folks that are kind of controlling Bitcoin and they want to kind of control the spread of wealth now that it's already too late for the low level investor. Now, some people have speculated that Bitcoin will go as low as 15,000 to 20,000 because that's roughly around the point that we saw many of the companies start to get into it. I don't know that I'm confident in that number. It might, but I'm, I don't know that I'm confident in that one. It feels to me more around 30,000 um, is the bottom. We still don't know for a fact, but I say it feels to me from a watching the graph and kind of watching the taper, it feels to me about 30,000, not as low as 1520. If we go as low as 1520, there's going to be a rush for this stuff. I guarantee you. And then it's going to jump and jump and jump and jump. You're going to see banks get into it at 15,000. I promise you this. So is it possible? Absolutely. But I just find it unlikely from my personal perspective. I'm not giving you advice. I'm just saying I, I'm skeptical that it's able to go that low, even if it's an overpriced, which I think it is. But I think that's just not, I don't, I don't think so. And there's a new uh, release for SHIB. I know this is kind of doesn't really matter, but there's a new release for SHIB as far as a, a, an exchange. And the reason this is significant is because it precedes potentially having a listing on Robinhood. And as I keep saying, I don't know why people care about Robinhood, but there's a platform called Uphold and it's regulated by the governments. 
So it's following all the rules. It's basically just like, you know, Webull and, and Coinbase and the others, Kraken. It's it's right on the high, on the, let's say, the clean side of the government space. And so getting listed there, people are kind of saying, okay, well, that might mean that Robinhood's going to be next because if you got Uphold up there and you got Coinbase up there, then what's Robinhood waiting for? So there's all this chatter that Robinhood's going to list SIB in February. I still maintain I have no idea why people care so damn much about Robinhood, and I'm sorry to say that, but it just doesn't make sense because you can buy it anywhere else, literally anywhere else, and just set up, set it up and do it, and you'll own those coins. With these so-called regulated ones, you're not going to really own those coins. You're basically not owning your asset, and when it goes up, you could be locked out of it, which we saw with Robinhood before and GameStop. So I don't know why that's a push. I have no idea. But I figured I'd let you know that Uphold, which I've never used, never looked at, don't care about because if it's one of those above-board type exchanges that follows all the regulatory things, they're usually a pain to use because, like, Webull is a pain to use, in my opinion. Crypto.com, of course, they got hacked, but they're a pain to sign up. And then Coinbase wasn't that bad, but Robin, and Robinhood wasn't that bad, but, of course, Robinhood doesn't list it, and then Coinbase does, but Coinbase had the issues when they launched, so seems that there's nothing but problems with some of these, so I don't follow those. And Uphold does require KYC before you do anything else, so that's another ding against them. And then usually you're not able to trade, you know, the, the, the low-cap stocks. It's usually going to be the big players, the common ones that everybody knows about, and that's another reason why I don't really subscribe to them. But for somebody that does use Uphold, maybe that's good news for you guys. Cardano, ADA. They are releasing changes to their backend code and what they're going to be able to do for anybody that buys into it, you're going to be able to run nodes on basically garbage PCs, PCs that normally could not run nodes. These are validation nodes. So I don't want to get into the overly into the technical specifics, but it goes to proof of stake. It goes to the new way that computers are going to be able to participate and play a factor in the stability and reliability of the various networks as they go. So it doesn't really affect the common person to a significant degree other than to say that them kind of opening the doors for lesser machines means that it should help offset when Cardano and other networks start taking off. They're going to have to, they're going to, have to get to the point where they are more available to different computer specs. Right now it requires a lot of RAM and a lot of processor power, and so this upgrade opens the door for lesser pieces to get on board which in theory should help, help, not necessarily guarantee, help avoid situations like that garbage sunflower game on the Phantom Network happening on the Cardano. There are people coming out talking about, you know, we got to get rid of the meme coins. These meme coins got to go away. You know, we want Bitcoin. We want Ethereum. They're who we trust. They're all the way around. We need to get rid of these meme coins. It's always that same mantra. And it's not that they feel threatened by it. Honestly, that's not what it is. It's that as I said, the rich are holding on to the Bitcoins like crazy and they're wanting to buy up all the Bitcoins like crazy because they now see the profit potential in it and they don't want the low-level retail traders having that access to wealth. So by having access to an Ethereum or a Bitcoin at super sky-high prices that nobody else can afford, it allows them to control wealth, right, and dictate price movement. When you have meme coins that are startups and they're able to grow and do these kinds of things, you're able to then allow the low-level trader to make some wealth and make some moves and then eventually buy into the Bitcoins of the world. And they don't want to see that. And so they want 
They want to get rid of those. They want to get rid of all the mean coins. They want to get rid of all that so that the wealth can be kept at the 1%. It's clandestine, right? It's, it's transparent why that they don't want so-called mean coins to succeed because that's the only reason that you wouldn't want them or that you would even care, to be honest and frank. Kosovo, the government of the Republic of Kosovo. Kosovo is, they're talking about banning crypto mining, just like with China, just like with Russia. So it's not, it's nothing new, but it's part of the trend. And as a result, people are trying to get, they're trying to offload their mining equipment because they don't want to get in trouble. But it's this whole big thing. It's, it's a crazy nonsense thing that's going, there's a pattern like dominoes falling. All these countries are kind of following suit with China and Russia in doing bans. But ultimately, it's all around proof of work, energy use, do, do, do. That's what's driving this. And I want to make sure you're clear. That's the primary thing that's driving this. All they're doing is really caring about or trying to care about energy consumption within the country. Now, I'm saying some of these countries, it is true that they are having an impact on the regular people. However, I don't think that the right answer is a ban. I think the right answer is regulation, smart regulation to just kind of control it. And they don't want to do that because that would be the easy approach. So what they said is, you know what, we're just going to ban it outright. And so now you're going to lose another country that was doing mining. I don't believe they were a large site of mining at all. I don't believe that they would have a significant impact. But the more that we see more bans, it's just going to have an impact on the crypto market. And I argue it would send it underground in some of those countries. So I don't like to see it keep happening because all you're going to do is put it back underground where it started. And I don't think that's the right, uh, right way we should be going, especially because if all you care about is energy use, do, do, do. We should simply regulate it and control it and manage it better than we do. We don't do that today. We give energy access to whoever pays for it, which is part of a free market. Okay, well, then if you know that you have constraints on the energy supply, which to me doesn't make any sense, it means you're not building framework. Regardless, if we know we have these energy constraints, then that means you should be putting some guardrails around how you can get access to energy and make sure that when you see certain spikes in energy that you're properly regulating those. And they don't want to do that. They're taking the easy approach of just bam, bam, bam. And I do think that they're at some level, they're all working together. This is why I say that I think the current administration talks a good game in the public saying, no, we're not going to ban crypto. And we're not, that's not our plan. We're not going to do it. They're, 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 they want to do it. They want to get rid of it. They don't want people to be able to get high levels of wealth easily. And they want to keep that wealth at the top 1%. Despite what they say in public, we know that's what's happening in private. Because think about it this way. Many of these countries don't take these kind of actions unless that the United States told them to do so or that they saw it might be a good idea based on the United States suggesting that they do so. This, this administration put people in place who came from areas where they were specifically skeptical about crypto and against crypto in previous policy. We knew what the intent was. So this was a long time coming. This is why I said it was a bad thing in 2021 when the current administration went in office, people didn't realize it because they were so upset about mean tweets. They didn't realize what they're, they're getting sold a bill of goods because the person that got selected from the Democrat side wasn't going to be the right fit. Because you have people on the Democrat side that didn't mind cryptocurrency and wanted to embrace it, but those people were shouted down because they were so adamant about getting the current administration in office, and now we see what we're seeing. So I think it's a coordinated effort by all the governments to try to lock this thing down and at worst, it might be a mirror of what we're seeing with the Fox scene where they're saying, we'll just terrify people into taking their own actions, but we won't do it. And then we can say, we didn't do it, but they did it. 
There's a vulnerability in MetaMask. If you use MetaMask, which is one of the more popular wallets, and unfortunately, a lot of these people keep pushing MetaMask as the de facto, and I don't know why they do it, but they keep doing it, and I don't like it. I've, I've called MetaMask crap on multiple occasions. I do think it's crap. I came across a service the other day where it's a NFT service. They only support MetaMask. You cannot connect any other mask. And I've asked them 50 million times, when are you going to get away from this? When are you going to stop doing this? Because it's not the right answer. There are people who use other wallets. There's at least, there's at least 60 other wallets. It will stop pushing MetaMask. But it's just it, when you develop a crypto token, MetaMask is the easiest way to tie it to the tool called Remix that's used to write the code. And so to them, they're like, okay, well, MetaMask is what we used to build it. We'll just have the users to use MetaMask to access it, which is never the right answer. So apparently there was a vulnerability discovered. This might have been like yesterday or the day before. Might have been a little while ago because usually what happens when these breaches are found, it takes them a while. To, at first they say, nothing to see here, do, 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 and then later they acknowledge it. So there was a breach that was identified. Um, the breach was not apparently realized. So basically what happened was, and this has happened before, just to summarize, but what happened was if you were to receive an NFT through an airdrop, so somebody just sends you an NFT, what happens is when you do the transfer of ownership, you would do the transfer of ownership and then you get access to that person's IP address. Now, from the IP address, you can glean more information about that person potentially. Now, I want to be clear here. The IP address by itself does not give you significant levels of information, but it does give you access to information that could identify things like where you're coming from, location, right? So if you're not going through VPN, then it's possible that you could have some part of your identity breached. When you have something like this where it's just a basic NFT transfer, and this, was, this happened on OpenSea before, OpenSea had a breach and they fixed it, they patched it. This one looks like it's specific to MetaMask when they're sending it to you and you happen to be using MetaMask when you receive it. The thing is, all of this is blockchain. So it, you could do this transaction using any other wallet and say, okay, whatever, and then view it in MetaMask and then it's perfectly fine. Once this was brought to their attention, it looks like it was actually December. Once it was brought to their attention, they said, okay, we're not going to do anything on this one. We're not going to fix this guy. And, and then they responded, said, okay, you know what? We need to fix this. We know it's been an issue. We know it's been a problem. Why it only affects MetaMask, I have no idea, because ultimately it shouldn't matter what wallet you're using. I question why it's even tracking the IP address. Regardless, it's part of the reason, though, that I use, I only use the web whenever I'm doing any OpenSea transactions, regardless, because even if I were doing a send or receive, whatever, I don't go through a wallet because that doesn't make sense to me to do it that transaction. I'd rather do it on the web because it's easier to see everything on the screen. But I'm bringing that to attention because if you do use MetaMask and it says it only affects NFTs, but regardless of what it says, it currently could affect anything. It could affect anything where you're doing a send and receive, theoretically true. Speaking of NFTs, if you're not on Twitter, thank goodness, and I, I, I praise you because Twitter decided to release an update they have a service called Twitter Blue that's basically a paid service that gives you access to some stupid functionality, and they decided to release a feature that allows people to create their, their profile picture from an NFT, and this allows you to then market the NFT. So 
the funny thing about this is your, your icon turns into a hexagon. That's how you know it. And you click on it, and it gives you information from OpenSea about the NFT. And you're like, well, cool. That means it can, basically it's free marketing. Well, it's not free because you're paying for 20 blue. But regardless, it's annoying. Even when you don't use the service, people have been changing their profile photos to the apes and the, and the, the crypto punks and all the other garbage. And so it looks like it looks like what you'd get if you gave a seven-year-old access. Anybody know the whole the Simpsons episode where he has his brother and his brother has a car dealership and his brother allows Homer to build a car, the car of tomorrow, and then Homer builds an absolute god-awful car that tanks the company and kills it? That's what these images all look like to me. Like you gave, like he took his seven-year-old kid, gave him keys to the kingdom and said, yep, go on and what do you want to see on this thing? And they say, I want to see NFTs on everybody's picture. And it looks like garbage now. It doesn't look like a professional anything. It doesn't look like a business anything. And the only reason that we use it is because we have to find people in order to access the service. And Twitter is one and such service. We're also on Facebook as well. But this uh, Elon Musk came out and he said, you know, these are annoying seeing that these everybody's profile picture is now being changed to an NFT because now everybody's basically just broadcast announcing this stuff. And why are you spending engineering resources on this thing? when you got all these scammers and spammers and all this other stuff that you should be working on fixing when he has a valid point. It's like, why are we spending? They had to spend a lot of money getting this thing up there. It doesn't make, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any logical sense whatsoever to do that garbage the way that they're doing it. I don't mind if you give an access where from your profile profile, you can link to an NFT or link to a library. I'm cool with that. I don't think the profile picture thing is the right answer. I think it's garbage, just like he does. I think it's a waste of time and waste of resources. It doesn't make any sense to me why you should be doing that. So then Michael Saylor, and he's well, very well known in the crypto space and the security space. He chimes in and he says, you know, how about you just allow real humans to post? <laughs> and you got to basically get verified with an orange check mark, and then we can limit to verified people. And you take a security deposit, and we do that to prove good faith. Well, I like that. The problem is, is that Twitter tried that, if I recall, some time ago, and it didn't work very well. <clears throat> so I agree in the problem. It's a problem. I don't know what the solution is. I think it's stupid, though, that you're spending so much time and money and resources to, to do that, and that, to the point that it created a whole new industry around blocking these things to be able to block it. I love that. The other issue with this is there's apparently no guardrails around this feature. So you could have a spam NFT or a, a malicious NFT and you do that and it doesn't block it. It doesn't stop it. You can take somebody else's NFT and then you can remint it. So where it's yours and then post it as yours and still money. There's so many flaws in the way that they did it. And I don't know, again, it seems like they just didn't take the time to really think about, they just rushed into a thing because it's, it's the whole me too thing. You know, they just rushed into saying, you know, whatever, let's just go with this NFT thing. Everybody likes it. So let's go and make it. Deep, deep, deep. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyhow, moving on. SHIB. Um, SHIB is now, uh, I talked about the uphold and the Robin Hood. SHIB is still dropping in value. And it's everything that's ecosystem is dropping in value. They're still doing burns. I want to be clear that they have been burning. 
but they're not making a dent. Just like I said, it's not going to make a dent because there's too many inventory. There's, it's not going to have any appreciable impact on the price until they do trillions of burns. And I don't, I'm, I'm assuming they don't listen to the podcast because I straight told them you'd have to do a trillion a day at this point in order to justify some price movement in the right direction. And it seems like they don't want to do it. I'm not sure what the, what the deal is, but why they're so resistant, why they're so resistant to it, but they're resistant to it. They just don't see that they don't want, they don't want to do it. And then the last bit of news that I'll cover today we need to dig a little bit deeper into the, the so-called crash, right, of, of the Bitcoin. If you look at the graph, I've talked about the fact that you should be zooming out of the chart, right? And you shouldn't pay attention to the one day or the four hours or any of that. And you should zoom out to minimum seven days, ideally greater, to get a sense of what's really going on. And when you do that, you're going to see two things. Number one, you will see that the industry in general is down. So no matter what token you look at, it is down. Number two... There appears to be a pattern with certain tokens where there are actual strong sells. This is either the whale selling out or it's FOMO selling, but there's some strong sell behavior. So that's making the situation worse than it really is. I'm not saying the situation is not bad. I'm saying that when you take a down market with the core tokens being on a downward trend and you couple that with strong sells, which either are whale selling out or FOMO selling, I suspect it's FOMO selling. When you take those together, when you compound that, you are seeing worse impact. The graphs look worse than they should if people were just kind of holding still. Now, we don't know why specific motivations, right? We don't know if people had strong motivating reasons for the sell now, but we can assume that it's FOMO selling because it's happening during the red. And normally you should not sell to this degree that I'm seeing during the red. So when I watch the graphs, I'm seeing that basically everything's going to be at a steep discount. At some point, things will turn around either because the mining moves to a different place or because ETH2O gets its act together or something else happens that then causes a bullish sentiment and then people start buying back in again because now it's on a, a decline right and it's on a dip and i suspect there are people right now out there one of them will be a guest on the show this week actually that's news and i'll cover that in a second uh, that are buying that are buying the dip because they know and they believe and they they're confident it's going to recover and it's just a temporary thing we just don't know how long because as i said we don't know what the bottom is we haven't hit that yet and so it's kind of this weird sketchy thing uh to keep an eye on so that's that's the big part of the news that I had to cover. Let's get into our underdog token of the day. I was digging around and, you know, I always diversify my portfolio. I'm always buying into different projects or selling other projects and doing different things. And there was a project that I bought in the pre-sale for, and I've been watching it and kind of watching the numbers and the potential of the dude and, you know, the market cap. And I went to the pre-sale, I'm bought in, it's about to go live. I believe it's going live next week. Um, you're already get, able to get some price numbers out of it now because there's liquidity there, but the trading has been locked down. So you're not going to be able to do anything with this one as of right now, but I do want to bring it to attention just so you're aware of it and you can keep an eye. Their sites up and you can see kind of what they're, what they're positioning for their project and just kind of learn it and the tokenomics and everything else. And the focus on this one and the reason that I focused in on this one is the problem that they're trying to solve, which I do think is a legitimate, valid problem. Now, we don't know how this is going to play out in a real-world scenario because it doesn't exist as it stands, but 
there seems to be a certain appeal in how they're doing it, and we're going to dig into it a little bit deeper once it goes live. I'll probably do a revisit episode on it. This one's called Crypto to Card. Crypto, the number two, and card.io is the site. Crypto.card, the or Crypto to Card, sorry, Crypto to Card. Let me talk with the problem it wants to solve. When you have cryptocurrency today, if you use, I believe, um, what is that one? Uh, I know Coinbase is one. Crypto.com is one. Uh, Bitfinex, I believe, is one. There's a couple of other services where what they do is they'll give you a debit card, and the debit card allows you to spend the cryptocurrency that's in your account. This works great. There's nothing wrong with it. The challenge, though, is that you have to go through a lot of hoops, KYC and others, in order to get access to that card and get access to manage your crypto. And you don't own the cryptocurrency because it's in a centralized exchange. What Crypto to Card wants to do is to basically give you access to that same function using a prepaid card and spend your cryptocurrency through the prepaid card. But you're not going through an exchange. It's all through the pancake swap because it's on the Binance Smart Chain. And so you still own access to your cryptocurrency. You can do it as a virtual card, which means if you only shop online, you can do a virtual card or maybe you buy a gift card for a friend or family member and you want to send them just the virtual card information so they can buy online. Or you can get a physical card, you know, mailed to you. There are three different uh, physical cards. There's a physical card that's designed for the internet. So basically what it does is you can't reload it necessarily, but you can spend on it. So you can say, all right, I can go and get this card. You can load up maximum $2,000 worth of your crypto um, and pay a fee, and then it's good for four years. So let's say that you want to, and then you can use it to swipe online. Because it's a physical card, you can also use this to shop at stores. So I, this was a very intriguing use case. And so I was reading a little bit deeper, and I got to the tokenomics. And the tokenomics, it has a maximum supply of $1 trillion. They did an initial burn of 5%. There was a pre-sale, like I mentioned, there was two. There was actually the private pre-sale and a public pre-sale that was done. They do liquidity management. They do BNB rewards. Um, there, so there is a tax to manage all this, and then 3% for development marketing. They've been heavily marketing this dude because they believe it solves a problem, right? And then there's a separate tax for buys versus sells. When you do a sell transaction you get more bnb rewards than if they do a buy so if, if a bunch of people are selling out like we're seeing now with the fomo selling you would get a lot more reflections than you would if a lot of people are buying but you still get reflections it's just that sells give you more so that was intriguing as well it was seemed like it was very well thought out very well managed um it's up all the sites again are up and running they've been communicating unfortunately through telegram only but they've they have a presence on like Twitter, but telegrams where the bulk of the information is present, but they seem to be doing a, at least a passable job of trying to get the message out about here's what we're trying to do. Here's what we, the problem we want to solve. Keep in mind, these are prepaid cards, which means there is no address in play. You just need to have access to the card and swipe it. Just like if you bought a prepaid card from the local store, you probably want to be a little bit careful in some countries because some countries may not look favorably on anonymous prepaid card usage so that's something you want to do some research on to see if it's something even usable in your area however as an investor there was a strong potential for profit on this because it does legitimately solve a problem and it's a problem outside of the bubble of crypto it can be used in a fiat world think about 
some sample use cases I just thought of. You could get this, have your crypto in store, and use this to give allowance to your kids, right? And so now you can just load up prepaid cards, give them access to the code, and let them shop and buy things. Or maybe it's a physical prepaid card, and they can use it and go to the store and buy themselves a game or something on a regular basis without having to do anything other than what you're already doing. Or let's say that you get some gains off your crypto, so you're up in a green market, and because you got some extra gains, you want to you know, reward somebody. Let's say that you hire somebody to do some yard work or something. You want to give them a little reward or something. There's all sorts of potential on this one. So beyond the crypto bubble, there's a huge use case, I think, for access to prepaid cards from the cryptocurrency, but also it has strong tokenomics and strong rewards. They plan to have 24-7 support. Does not reference phone, which is unfortunate. I'm assuming that's on Telegram, unfortunately. But 24-7 support is not something you generally get from many prepaid cards. So it was something that I noticed, and I was very pleased to see it. It is audited. The audit is done by Interfi, which, of course, as you know, I don't really rate Interfi. And I want to talk about that for just a second, because you'll hear me say that all the time. And I want to be clear. It's not that it's bad that there's an Interfi audit. It's better than nothing. But there are different kinds of audits. There's audits of just the code, and then there's audits of the experience. Interfi, Solidity, you know, they do audits of the code. That's good. I want to see audits of the code. But then on the other side, you have, you know, Desert Finance, Certic. They do audits of the experience. Like, okay, does the owner, does the owner address have this access? Does the owner, is the owner able to do this? And to a, to a secondary degree, how are you managing gas? Are you being efficient with it? Is money being used? Are you wasting? Like, I want to see the totality of review, not just the specifics over here that say, okay, well, we're just going to look at the code and nothing else. That said, Interfi does talk about owner rights, but it goes beyond that. I want to know that you wrote the contract to be considerate of the usage of gas, as an example, not just security, not just privileges. So it's not that it's bad that it's Interfi. I just want to make sure that it's a minimum, let's say Interfi and Desert or Interfi and Certic, you know, or Solidity and Certic. I want to make sure there's a Certic audit and or a Desert Finance because they do the best job from a total experience perspective as an investor to make sure that you're completely protected. That said, there is an audit. The code looks reasonably clean. It's always the same stuff, which is owner privileges and owner rights and the ability to lock down the contract, which every token struggles with. It's nothing new there. There is a KYC. KYC is also done by Interfi, which you've heard me say before. I can't stand when they do that. It's better than not having any KYC at all, but the problem with theirs is that you don't get any scope. You don't get any data around KYC. What was the scope of the review? What did you review? What did you actually do? And you can't tell what it is that they did. That's why I don't like seeing when it's an Interfi KYC or an Interfi audit, because that's also, you know, separation of duty. I don't want to see the same org did A that did B. I'd like to see that there's clean separation, but also I want to see what, what did you cover? You know, what did you do? What did you review? How can we know what you reviewed? And you can't access that information as far as I can tell. They said that they reviewed two people at the organization. That's fine, but I don't know what that means, right? Did you review their name? Did you pull their driver's license? Did you do a background check? What did you do to verify these people? And I don't have that answer. 
So, but at least it's, again, it's better than nothing. And it means that they took some time to try and build it and do it and not rush it out there like so many other tokens do. I just, again, would like to see more out of KYC from these tokens where we can independently verify what was actually reviewed and evaluated. And we currently cannot do that. As far as their white paper, uh, the white paper I'm, let's say, moderately impressed with. It does a very, it's very well designed from a visual perspective, very well designed. It does a really good job with the breakout. They do talk about the why. So they say, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's what this is designed to do for you. And here's the business value. And then it goes into features of the project overall, tokenomics of the specific token, steps on how you're going to be able to get the card. And then, of course, their roadmap and everything else. And then, of course, KYC is a different doc, but they also have contact information. They are missing their terms and disclosure and disclaimer. I think that's something that should be put in there just as a matter of course. But other than that, it's a pretty well-designed white paper. I wouldn't say it's the top of the line. It's not. But it's certainly better than some that I've seen by far. They did a really good job of, of presenting this is the problem that we're solving, and this is why we did this, and this is the value. that you, This is the reason why you should invest in what we're trying to do. So then I like this project. I like the project a lot. That's why I did the pre-sale. They're about to launch as in full launch here in about seven and a half minutes from the moment I just said that word. So they're going to be launching PancakeSwap. This one's chart I'm going to be watching very closely because unfortunately, sad for them, they're launching right in the middle of this crash and some sell behavior. But because I saw other people that were selling out and buying in other projects, that means the money's still out there. And I suspect that some of those big players are going to be noticing projects like this and may want to clue in. And then there's going to be that FOMO, right? Because as people got in, there's going to be likely that initial pump and then people that sell out and then people that buy in. Some people will stay for the BNB reward. Some people will hold for the long term because they think this one easily can get over a dollar and don't see why. I think it has five zeros right now with it. So there's a strong profit potential, possible potential to this guy. And it just, it's time. It's waiting, waiting it out seeing how they do if this is able to succeed in this kind of a market there's nothing stopping it there's nothing holding them back because this, this is probably the hardest condition i can think of for a token to succeed take a look at them see what you think that's crypto to the number two card.io is the site it is launching here in a few minutes and i think it looks good personally i didn't have anything that's a complaint necessarily other than just it's it's going to be hard for them to kind of maintain steam in this in this market and I don't want them to just do Telegram. I wish they would do a little bit more social media. Other than that, I didn't have any real complaints or concerns uh, with what I saw, which was what compelled me to do a little bit of the pre-sale buy-in and kind of go through the process myself and see how it turns out. So that's what I got there for Crypto2Card.io. All right, and let's close out with two points. I want to circle back. One's a circle back. One is a, I guess, a awareness point. So we got some feedback. We were talking to some people on the, the Shinja, a.k.a. Shibnovi, Reddit, based on our episode that we posted. And we share it up there to their Reddit. And we got a couple of people that were, they were apparently frustrated because the Cliff, when he was doing the AMA, he didn't have closed captions on on Twitter spaces. And they mentioned about the podcast and what we did. Because for people that don't know, the, quote, the, the live captions, that's what it is. The live captioning is automatically supported when you're on Windows and on Mac OS on the computers. It's automatically, it's, it's pseudo-automatically supported on Android. It's not directly supported on iOS. What this means is that we were able to put together a list of 
basically a document that breaks out the difference and a tool. It's an interactive tool. If you go to our site, CryptoTalkRadio.net, it's at the top, and it tells you, if you go in the tool, it guides you. It asks you questions about your situation, and it'll tell you if you're interested, and this is kind of ironic because you may not hear me, but if you know people that need closed captions, they need their hard of hearing, and they need the subtitles, direct them to that link because it'll guide you step-by-step on how to enable it on your situation, assuming you're not using iOS. I can't help you there because apparently Apple doesn't support it on the mobile, which doesn't make any sense, and you have to download an app. But if you're on Android, mobile, or you're on Windows, or you're on Mac OS computer, there's ways that you can turn on captions. Our our podcast support it fully. I've tested it 50 ways to Sunday, and hopefully that helps people because I don't want you to be left behind. I want you to be included um, we don't do paid transcription because we don't charge for the podcast. I am open to that if you want it, but I'd have to hear feedback. CryptoTalkRadio.net, fill out the contact form if that's something you want to see. I would consider a paid service to do that. I just didn't want to charge for that unless I knew there was a lease of appetite. That's all I got for you today. There's a lot of news. There's a lot of red. There's a lot of down. There's a lot of depression, honestly. Try to hold the course. Stay strong. I promise we're going to come out of it stronger. I think it's a good bullish market. We just have to get past this moderate season. We will come out of it much better off than when we came in.